Father, we thank you for your word, O oh God. And Father, we just come around your word this time with faith and expectation. We thank you, God, that your word has the power to transform our lives from the inside out. And so, God, we just humble ourselves under the authority of your word, O oh God. And we say, speak to us. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. This morning, um, to close our Outpour series, I would like to speak on the topic, By My Spirit. Repeat after me, By My Spirit. I would like to talk on that topic this morning. And our text for today is Zechariah chapter 4. When you get a moment at home, I want you to read through that entire chapter. Uh, But today, I want to just make light and highlight just a particular verse in that chapter. Verse number 6, here's what it says. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Back in the day, uh, we had these gatherings at 5 p.m. in the back of my parents' house in a white tent. Uh, And it started off as a Bible study night that then evolved into a worship night, that then evolved into a prayer night, that then evolved into a revival night. And the whole aim of the evening was to seek God, full stop. And we would gather with one goal in mind, to encounter God through the power of Holy Spirit. Uh, As we sang, as we read the Word of God, as we prayed, and it was just absolutely incredible. But on one of these evenings, I made it up in my mind, I was going to pursue Holy Spirit 100%. I was going to put aside all the fear and all the uncertainty. You know, when we start talking about Holy Spirit, it, you know, it kind of gets a little bit weird because we, our human brains cannot fathom the way that He works. Uh, but I decided that evening, you no, know, I was going to put all of that aside and I was just going to go hundies and just have faith and trust God and, 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 and uh, encounter Holy Spirit. And so on this particular evening, uh, we prayed for a couple of us who were in the room to uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, The mother's ministry, they tarried and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And so what started at 5 p.m. was now still going on at 11.30 p.m. Like the tarrying and the praying was real. Uh, That mother's ministry was not going to let you leave that place without having experienced Holy Spirit. But they prayed and they tarried. Man, I'm thankful to God for praying mothers and praying fathers of the faith. But that evening, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And for those of us who don't know what that means, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be baptized or immersed and come under the influence of Holy Spirit. And one of the ways that this is evidenced is through the gifts of the Holy Spirit that the Bible talks about. But most often in Scripture, it's evidenced through the gift of tongues. Tongues is the supernatural ability to be able to speak in a language that you've never been taught before. And we see this happening in Acts chapter 2, where the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues, speak in languages they were never taught before. And it was the same for me. It was such an incredible moment that changed the trajectory of my life. And so I received the gift of tongues and I just couldn't control it. I was speaking a million miles an hour and I was like that for a few days. But a few months later, in my zeal for the things of God, church, I did the absolute unthinkable. I mean, I've just received this gift. I've just been, I've just encountered Holy Spirit. And so I'm not sure what to do next. I'm so excited. I'm full of zeal. So I decide I'm going to drive up to the, to the drive-thru at Mecca's and I'm going to order my meal in tongues. And so I get there and the voice from the box is like, welcome to McDonald's. Please place your order. And I start speaking in tongues. You know? And I'm just going for it. 
And the person on the other side was like, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. Uh, and I go again, I'm speaking in tongues and ordering my meal in tongues. And the lady's like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to come to the window. I have no idea what you were saying. I don't even understand the language that you are speaking. I get to the window and I start to press again. I'm frustrated because I'm like, how can you not understand what I'm saying, miss? And she's like, well, I don't. I don't understand the language that you are speaking. And in my mind, I'm frustrated because I've read my Bible and the Bible says they were up in the upper room. They got filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they spoke in tongues and then they preached the gospel and 3,000 people were added to the faith. And so I kept pressing and I was like, miss, do you know Jesus? Do you, do you know that you need a savior? Have you been saved? Do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and savior? And she's like, no, you're weird. I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And I'm absolutely gobsmacked. And so I leave. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, what's wrong with people these days? You know, but really, so what's wrong with you? You see, church, my problem was that I had this expectation that now I talk tongues, that now I'm more spiritual, that everybody I speak to is going to accept Jesus whether they like it or not. And don't get me wrong, love the passion, love the zeal, love the courage, love the boldness, but tongues without yielding to the Holy Spirit is nothing but gibberish. <laughs> Prophecy without leading, uh, following the leading of Holy Spirit is nothing but prediction. Because the goal is not to rely on the gift to get people saved, the goal is not to manipulate Holy Spirit to, uh, to getting people to be transformed and walk in the victory that Jesus died to give them. The goal is not to rely on your own strength and your power and your might to be an effective witness for Jesus. You know, oftentimes we can make it so much about the gift and our events and our programs and our abilities and our power and our strength when God is saying, it's not by might. Actually, it's also not about power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Turn to the person next to you and say, hang in there. It's going to be all right. <laughs> in this chapter, uh, in this text, when you get a chance to read it, it talks about a lampstand. And many scholars of the Word of God say that the lampstand in this passage can be interpreted as the church. But in light of the text, it can be interpreted as the nation of Israel. And the lampstand symbolizes the nation of Israel who God had appointed as a light to the nations. God called Abraham and his descendants and told them to go to a place uh, that he would show them. So God blessed them and said that through you, the nations of the world would be blessed. This group of people become Israel. Along the way, Israel, this people that God said would be a blessing, they disobeyed God. And so in their disobedience, this lampstand that was meant to be a light to the nation, this lampstand that was meant to shine so brightly is now not shining at all. The people of Israel have been taken into exile by the Babylonians. And so this text that we read this morning was written to encourage a man by the name of Zerubbabel who was leading Israel. This nation that God has called, this lampstand, this light to the nations, this people who were in exile for 70 years, this people who are finally coming home. And so under the leadership of Zerubbabel, the people began to build the second temple. The temple is a major thing throughout the biblical narrative. The temple was a place where God's presence, God's people could be, could be in his presence, preparing them to be a holy people, reflecting a holy God to all of the nations. And so the first temple that was built by Solomon was glorious. Here's what the Bible says about one of the rooms inside the temple. This inner sanctuary was 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 30 feet high. He overlaid the inside with solid gold. He also overlaid the altar made of cedar. Verse 22, he finished overlaying the entire temple with gold, including the altar that belonged to the most 
holy place. If that was just one of the rooms, can you imagine how incredible the entire temple would have looked? It would have been amazing. It would have been incredible. It was big. It was, it was extravagant. You see, Solomon's temple was the temple that got destroyed and the people of Israel ended up in exile in Babylon. But God was reestablishing this light that had grown dim. God was reestablishing the light through the remnant, through the people who came back from the exile. And so the remnants are now starting to build the second temple. While they're in the middle of the build, God sends a word to Zerubbabel that I believe is also still relevant for us today. It wasn't just a suggestion. It wasn't just an idea. It wasn't just a great thought. It was God's way of communicating how he works. He says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. God wants Zerubbabel to know that the building of the temple was only going to be accomplished by the power of his spirit. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that there would have been extravagant and incredible architects in the people of Israel. There's no doubt in my mind there would have been some gifted people in Israel. There's no doubt in my mind there would have been some amazingly talented individuals in uh, Israel. But God makes it clear that the Holy Spirit was key to accomplishing the work. That word is still true for us today. God's mission to save the lost and build his church will only be accomplished by the power of Holy Spirit. And so there are three things in the text that are going to help us understand a little bit more about how Holy Spirit will work through us to save the lost and build the church. Number one, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, no obstacle is too great. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, no obstacle is too great. Zerubbabel and the people of Israel came up against obstacles when they began to rebuild the second temple. Some of the people heard what they were doing, and so they came in alongside them and said, let us build with you. We want to come alongside you and help you. Zerubbabel and the people of Israel said to them, no, we're going to do this on our own. And here's what the Bible says happened next. Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. These people continued to write letters to the kings who ruled at the time and told them to search the records and see just how much of an evil and rebellious people that the Israelites were. And so the kings at the time would reply and bring the entire building of the temple to a halt. Ezra 4 verse 24 says, So the work on the temple of God in Jerusalem had stopped. You see, the people have come up against opposition, and now they've been discouraged, and so they abandoned the work. You could have all the power in the world. You could have all the strength in the world. You could have all of the equipment in the world to get the job done, but nothing can kill motivation and momentum and drive and determination quite like uh, discouragement. You see, the word discouragement means to deprive of confidence. When you are in the middle of the will of God, you will come up against discouragement. When you make the decision to give your heart to Jesus, you will come up against discouragement. When you choose to be a witness for God in your family, in your workplace, in your school, and in your neighborhood, you will come up against discouragement. But the question that you need to ask yourself when you start to feel a little bit discouraged is simply this. Who or what am I placing my confidence in? Who or what am I placing my confidence in? Because when you've placed your confidence in yourself, in your ability, in your gift, in your talent, you will be easily discouraged. Because your ability, our gifts, our talents, our strength, they have a limit. So to place our confidence in ourselves is to set ourselves up for discouragement. 
Because someone could say one good sarcastic comment about you and you'd easily become discouraged and disappointed and just abandon the work that you said God called you to do. When your confidence is in God, when your confidence is in the power of Holy Spirit, no comment could move you, no mountain could stop you, no negative word could break you, no opposition could get in your way. Why? Because your confidence is not in you, it's in Him. When you are filled with Him, when the Holy Spirit has gotten hold of you, you can't help but rise above the circumstance. You can't help but rise above the situation. You can't help but be calm in the midst of the storm. You can't help but be a light in the dark place. Why? Because it isn't by might, it isn't by power, it's by His Spirit, says the Lord. It's no wonder God says in His encouragement to Zechariah, what are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shout of God bless it, God bless it. What obstacles then can stand in the way of God's work? If Holy Spirit empowers everyone who seeks to do that which God has called them to do, what could possibly get in the way? Church, when you are filled with Holy Spirit, there are no obstacles too great. Number two, when you are filled with Holy Spirit, no beginning is too small. No beginning is too small. In our text, Verse 10 says, who dares despise the day of small beginnings? The people were looking at this temple that had been built under the leadership of Zerubbabel, and they looked at Solomon's temple that was built before they went into exile, and they started to compare the two temples. They came to realize that this second temple was so much smaller than the first temple. Here's what the Bible says. Many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The people are disappointed. They're looking at this thing and probably thinking, hold up, why does this look tiny? Why does this look nothing compared to the first temple that was being built? Why, do, why, why does it look different? How come it looks smaller? And the Bible says they are weeping aloud. You need to know today that God often uses the small beginnings to accomplish His good and perfect Will. It happened with the second temple that they are weeping over. Prophet Haggai steps onto the scene and God speaks through him and he says, wait a minute, how many of you had seen the first temple that was being built? How does the second temple look like to you now? It, it must look like nothing compared to the first temple. And Haggai says in Haggai 2 verse 9, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace declares the Lord Almighty. In other words, even though the second temple was smaller than the first temple, God promised that His glory would be greater in the second temple than the first temple. The second temple later became uh, Herod's temple. It became known as Herod's temple when Herod came into power. He did extensions to the temple. He rebuilt the temple in order to gain favor with the, with the Jewish people. And it was spectacular. It was incredible but the glory didn't lie therein because the glory of the house came when Jesus, the Son of God, walked through the courts of the temple. That's more spectacular and more glorious than any temple laden with silver or gold. And this is what God is saying to Zerubbabel. Don't despise the small beginning because the glory of this house is going to be greater than the former. You know, we can get a bit like that in our walk with the Lord, eh? Uh, we say, hold up, why is this new small group so much smaller than the other one I was with? Why is this new project, project that I'm managing so much smaller than the first project? 
Why is this team so much smaller than the first team? Why is this house so much smaller than normal houses? Why are there only four people coming to prayer meeting? Uh, why do I always have to set up and pack down by myself? We just automatically despise small beginnings because we look at it and we make assumptions based on the outward size of the structure and the number of people in the team and the amount of income that's coming through and the size of the platform. And so we often equate small with failure. We equate small with not enough. We equate small with falling apart. We equate small with can't handle. Yet the kingdom of God looks at small things and says you can do the impossible with small things. Because with faith, the size of a mustard seed, and that's smaller than small, uh, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Church, when you are filled with Holy Spirit, no beginning is too small. That little business that you've just started, that's only just the beginning. This journey of faith that you've just started is only just the beginning. That job that you're working where no one can see what you are doing, that looks nothing like your old job. That's nothing but just the beginning. The question is not one of ability. It's not one of power. It's not one of strength. It's not one of resource. It's a question of faith. Faith becomes the bridge between where you are and where God is going to take you. Faith becomes the bridge between where I am and where I'm going. Because my ability is not going to get me there. My strength is not going to get me there. It's the power of God that's going to get me there. Turn to the person next to you and say, God is in the small beginnings too. (laughs) Here's number three. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, God can use you no matter who you are. When you are filled with Holy Spirit, God can use you no matter who you are. Some Bible scholars uh, believe that the olives in the text, uh, they represent the kingly and priestly offices in Israel through which the blessing of God would flow. And so for 18 years, the high priest Joshua and Zerubbabel from the line of uh, an incredible king of Israel, they both had failed to accomplish their mission. They had given up. They were discouraged. They've abandoned the building of the temple. But you see, God did not give up on them. God sent his word through the prophets and he encouraged them. His word to them was to depend and rely on Holy Spirit. You need to know today, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what kind of a history you have. It doesn't matter what you used to do and how you did it. When you give your heart to Jesus, when he is the Lord of your life, and when Holy Spirit begins to fill you, God will use you no matter who you are. All throughout the Bible, God often uses people who fell short, who considered themselves weak, who were abused, who, don't, who didn't feel like they were capable enough. We read of Joseph. His brothers sold him into slavery. His boss's wife tried to sleep with him. He ends up in prison for something he didn't do. Yet the Bible says he was filled with the Spirit of God and God used him to lead a nation out of economic crisis. We read of a man named Gideon, a man who considered his clan the weakest of the tribe of Manasseh, and a man who spoke negatively about himself, and he said that he was the least in his family. Yet the Bible says that he was filled with the Spirit of God, and he sounded the alarm. He gathered a coalition of Israelites to face their opposition, and God led him to defeat thousands upon thousands with a military of just 300 men. When you are filled with Holy Spirit, God will use you no matter who you are. You know, oftentimes we can get so caught up thinking about our past so much. You know, we've been saved and delivered, but we continue to glorify our past and pay it too much attention that we end up forfeiting the things that, of God that are within our reach. We end up becoming discouraged and we end up becoming disappointed and we end up abandoning the call of God on our lives. We say things like, I'm not ready yet. 
I'm not holy enough. I'm not squeaky clean yet. I've still got some things that I struggle with. My friend, if God only used people who were perfect and never struggled, we will, no one will be in the room today. But I'm thankful to God that the completion of His will for my life is not based on my goodness or my strength or my understanding and my ability because the reason I can say yes to his will and yes to his way and, and, and the reason that I'm able to say yes to him is because when it gets tough, when all hell is breaking loose, when things aren't going the way that I thought it would go, when I'm surrounded by discouragement and disappointment and chaos, and when I feel like I can't get no help in my time of weakness, when I feel like I can't utter the words to express how I feel, there is a helper who helps me in my weakness. There's a helper who prays for me with groanings that cannot be expressed with words. There's a helper who empowers me for the work. There's a helper who convicts me of my sin. There's a helper who teaches me, leads me, and guides me and reveals all truth to me. Holy Spirit is his name. And my prayer is that we wouldn't just be a church who know about Holy Spirit, but that we would be a church who are filled with Holy Spirit. But you need to know that being filled with Holy Spirit is not just a one-time thing. Being filled with Holy Spirit is a constant thing. In order for something to be filled, it needs to be emptied. And so being filled is a constant emptying of ourselves so that Holy Spirit could fill us, emptying me of my ways and my ideas and my thoughts so that Holy Spirit could fill me with His ideas, His ways, and His thoughts. You need to know today that when you are filled with Holy Spirit, no obstacle is too great, no beginning is too small, and God can use you no matter who you are. And here's why, church, because the goal is not to try and get hold of Holy Spirit. The goal is for Holy Spirit to get hold of you. Because he's not a force that we can wield and bend to our will. No, he is God, the third person of the Trinity, and yet he chooses to reside on the inside of us. Church, Holy Spirit resides inside of you. To every person who has placed their faith and believes in Jesus for salvation, you are the temple of Holy Spirit. And you may say to me, how? How could this be? You know, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice that accomplished what these temples couldn't do. Through Jesus' sacrifice and victory, he made a way for God not only to dwell with his people, but for God to dwell in his people. God dwells in you through Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in a temple not made by man's hands, a temple made in the image and likeness of the God of this universe. A temple so precious to God that he would give of his only son for his, for its redemption. You, my friend, are the temple where God through the Holy Spirit resides. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not on your own. You are not your own. Ephesians 2, 21 to 22 says, In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Holy Spirit is the one who is at work in and through us. We don't get to choose how He does what He does. We don't get to choose when and where He shows up. We don't get to say uh, why He should and shouldn't move. Our job is not to try and have Him all figured out. 
Our job is to surrender. Our job is to yield. Our job is to humble ourselves. Our job is to follow his leading. Our job is to trust him. Our job is to have faith. Our job is to believe. If I can ask the keys to join me. And so the question we find ourselves asking is this. So does this mean that we need to go back to Jerusalem and build an ancient building so that we can meet with God and be empowered by him so that we can reflect him to the world? The answer is no. God is calling you, God is calling every single one of us to be his temple today, to be the carriers of his presence right here in Manurewa. And if we're going to win people to Christ, if we're going to reach people with the gospel, if we're going to serve this community, if we're going to make a difference in Manurewa, church, we're going to do it not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. You need to know today that you can be filled with Holy Spirit. And it's as simple as doing this one thing. Ask in faith. Ask in faith. I'm going to close with Luke 11, verse 9 to 13. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, there are two groups of people that I want to pray for. Number one, if you're here this morning and you're saying, I want to be filled with Holy Spirit, you simply have to ask in faith. And I'm going to pray for you this morning. So if that's you, you want to be filled with Holy Spirit, let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice who is longing to be filled with your Spirit. God, you promised that you would fill us according to your will. You said that you would pour out your spirit on all people. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. We believe for it, God. We thank you, Father, that you've done your part already. And so by faith, we come hungry, we come thirsty, we come empty. We thank you that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, that we would be witnesses to the world. We ask you to fill us now and may it be evidenced with the gifts of Holy Spirit in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. There's a second group of people that I want to pray for this morning. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you don't know what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus and put your faith and trust in him, I want to give you this opportunity. Amen. With every head bowed and closed again, eyes closed again, you need to know today that God loves you that God created you on purpose for a purpose. He created you to enjoy loving fellowship with Him. But the Bible talks about this barrier that keeps us disconnected from God. That barrier is this thing called sin. Sin is doing things our own way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. And the Bible says that the penalty of sin is death. But my friend, it didn't end there because the Bible says God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross 
so that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And so right now, God is extending to you his grace, forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and everlasting life with you in heaven. But you see, we must turn away from sin. We must turn our backs to sin and turn to Jesus. Put our faith in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus for everlasting life. And so if that's you today and you're saying, I want to give my heart to Jesus, I want him to be the Lord of my life, I'm going to count to three and I want you to raise your hand and you can put it down again. And you know what? You've got no reason to be shy or afraid up in here. No one in this church was born holy. We are all sinners who have been saved by grace. But we want you to know we're right here with you and we've got your back. So if that's you, you can raise your hand. I'm going to count to three. One, God loves you. Two, he's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. There's one more thing I want you to do for me. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. But man, I need you to know this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. But this prayer is just you expressing and putting your faith in Jesus. So repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you. I want to follow you as my Lord and Savior. Thanks to you, I'm free. In Jesus' name, amen.